Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. Hillary Marshall. Hey Hillary. What advice do you have around launching a podcast? Can, can I use some of the uh, same content I'm using in other spaces? Should there be a guest? Well, where are you pointing that camera, Matty? I'm just pointing it at the, the podcast. Oh, wow, wow, okay. Funny you should mention that. We actually are in the midst of recording some podcasts today. Uh, we actually have a how to launch a podcast checklist. It's actually a, uh, what do you call it? Ebook, white paper. So what we'll do is we'll throw the link up right here. Ching! Basically takes you through the whole process. Uh, but my advice is in order to launch a podcast, you want to start thinking about, first of all, who your target audience is, um, because ultimately you want to be connecting a message with the market. And you want to be making sure that whoever your current market is, that there's a level of interest from your current market with the existing podcast. Now, I'm going to assume that, Hillary, you're already in business in some way, shape, or form. And if you are, you want to be making sure, ideally, that those two connect. Otherwise, you're going to be having to build a completely different brand with a completely different audience to one that you've already got, which means you're going to have to do twice as much work. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do, but it is something that you need to, you do need to consider. Because ideally, you know, whether you're you know, uh, launching a podcast or a new product, the closer it is to what it is that you do, the more aligned it will be with the current market and the less work and the more you'll have to do, but the more leverage you can get from the work that you've already done. You know, there's nothing worse than having to start over from scratch because that's where all the work is. Uh, but the second thing I'd advise you to do is uh, make sure you get a very strong list of, of guests to, for your launch sequence. So the first seven days, like I think when we first launched our podcast, I think we launched, what did we launch, seven podcasts in seven days? Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we basically had filmed at this point, I think about 40 or 50 podcasts. So we had a nice big can of dog food and we could, you know, evenly distribute the food out. But what we did is we got the best chunks and we put them out in the can first. Oh, that's terrible. But um, you get my point. You know, I think one of the mistakes that people make when they launch a podcast is they, as they film them, they release them. And then all of a sudden, you know, if something happens, if you have a busy week, you get sick, you get ill, you can't get a guest for that week, you know, it creates a bit of a, a disruption in the flow. And one of the most important things that you need to do in order to get on a new and noteworthy is you need consistency of publication. You know, whether it's on iTunes or any, any, um, any uh, social media platform for that matter, they really do like, the platforms all like consistency when it comes to publishing. You know, and for us, we published a new one every seven days um, and, it, that, and we were able to do that because we had like 40 or 50 they're already or they were already uh, recorded and now I think what do we release one or two a week uh, one a week so we've got plenty to shell out and that way we can really pick and choose to release the content depending on what's happening in the market you know we've got you know let's say we've got 40 podcasts in our um, in our um, in our bank um, you know, if there's a theme running in the market at that time, if there's a trending topic running in the market at that time, then we can actually, you know, prioritize the content and publish the content that is actually online or in, in, along the same theme as, as um, what's going on or what's trending in the market at that time. Uh, something else you need to consider is, is building the hype for the podcast. One of the things that we did, we actually started filming for our podcast in November of last year. And we actually had the hashtag secret project. And so for a good, it was almost probably nine, 10, maybe 11 months, we built up this tension. Now it was, for the most part, it was pretty obvious that we were launching a podcast. It wasn't completely obvious, because what was interesting is every time I asked, what do you think the secret project is about? We got this whole range of different answers, but there was always a you know, pretty fair weighting in the podcast. Uh, category with people who are having a good old guess. But by doing that, we create this huge level of intrigue, which is nothing more than a combination of dopamine and norepinephrine, whereby people were, oh, what's this all about? What's this all about? So by the time we get close, that's what we call the pre-pre-launch. The pre-pre-launch is where you, you see that there's something new and something exciting coming. And the pre-launch is when you actually drop and you say, guys, we are launching a podcast. Unstoppable is coming soon. We'll be launching October 2nd on my birthday. It's going to be massive. You know, and a pre, you know, the pre-pre-launch phase for us, I think it was about nine or 10 months. The 
pre-launch phase for us, I think was about maybe two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks. And then the launch phase where we actually hit it really quite hard, I think it was about a seven to 14 day period. Seven days, I think really intense. Uh, and then 14 days where we started to lighten off a little bit where we still had a, a few going out. And now we just, you know, we're, we're marketing it consistently with one or two or three posts per week. Um, and that's where it comes into learning how to market the podcast is gonna be really critical. So for us, one of the things that we did that really helped us leverage um, the marketing capabilities of the podcast is we filmed the podcast. We didn't just record the audio, we actually filmed them. As you can see from the setup here, I don't know if Matthias can swing around and show you. You know, we've got one, two, and we've even got a third camera up there. We've got some lights set up. You know, we've got good quality audio gear, but we actually recorded not just the audio, but we also recorded the video of the podcast. And we actually used the video and we repurposed the video by creating these little 15, 30 second, 60 second, two minute, three minute, four minute clips from the podcast and we use those as promos, but they also became rants in their own. So, you know, for us, the podcast is what we refer to as pillar content. And one of the things that we do with pillar content is we then carve it down. You know, uh, the podcast is pillar content, K-Day is pillar content, the social experiment is pillar content, um, you know, keynotes is pillar content. Kerwin. Hey, Kerwin is pillar content. Um, am I leaving anything out? That's pretty much all of our pillars. And what we do with our pillar content, you know, for the most part, it's the longer form content. But inside that longer form content, you know, I think from one of our podcasts, for example, I think on average we'll get from one podcast anywhere between eight to 16. Oh, excuse me. Oh, take a little sip of coffee. Mm. Eight to 16 rants from a podcast. Now, those eight to 16 rants for the podcast, they become independent pieces of content. Okay, that are repurposes as, repurposed as rants on Instagram for 60 seconds, videos on Facebook, longer form videos on YouTube, and the long form podcast itself gets published on YouTube as well, which is uh, you know a good way to repurpose it. But um, those independent rants also in themselves serve with the right branding associated as little marketing tools, as little marketing teasers, just like a commercial, you know, like, just like with anything. There's a 60, you get 30, you know, 15, 30 and 60 second commercials for, for new TV programs. And we use, you know, the rants as, as, as pretty much the same thing. We cut them into, you know, 15 second, 30 second, 45 second, 60 second, and even in some cases, a few minute little rants. They become independent pieces of content which add to the content mix and the publishing schedule and, and, the cal and the content calendar, but them in themselves become advertisements with the right branding because you don't just put them independently as rants. You know, you've got to have branding associated, you know, cut from Unstoppable, download Unstoppable, go to iTunes now, subscribe to Unstoppable so people know we can get the rest of it. Uh, and that for us, you know, has been a big part. And the last thing that I'll add is making sure that you ask people as a part of the strategy to go and review uh, the podcast. Now, one of the things that we've learned from the, the beginning on the new and noteworthy is you need completed you need completed video, completed listening, completed. What do you call it? I don't even know what you call it. You need someone to listen to the whole episode, you know, because if someone listens to the first five seconds, it's not like a Facebook video where they count a view as three seconds or a YouTube video as they count as three seconds of viewing. You know, you've got to get a entire viewing in order to really register. Um, and so one of the things that you can get you on the new note with you is getting complete, you know, complete downloads and complete listens, uh, but also reviews. And we ask our community for re reviews. You know, we did that through social media. We did that through our database. We did that through our different communities and Facebook groups as well. You know, so if you follow that schedule, then um, yeah, you should have a bit of luck. So hopefully that helps. Go and podcast your ass off. <clears throat> that sounded a bit weird, didn't it? A little bit weird. Ospic S8 on Instagram. What's your view on how much longer Facebook will be viable? And will there be a shift to go as, as it degenerates? Look, I think it's that's a really interesting question. I think Facebook is gonna be easily viable for another, depends on how you define viable. I think Facebook will be viable um, you know, in perpetuity for a very, very long time. 
but its viability is going to shift depending on the category of business that you're in as the volume of advertisers start to shift over. You know, because right now there's somewhere about 70 to 76 billion in Australia, just as an example, there's about 70 to 76 percent, or sorry, 70 to 70, let's call it 70 billion dollars a year that are still spent on TV advertising. But the funny thing is, is no one's watching fucking TV. You know, I've just done a tour around Australia where, where there was 4,000 people in different events that we had around Australia, and I surveyed the audience. And most of the audiences were five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred people at a time. And whenever I asked who watches live free to air television, I'm not joking here. And every time I asked this, there was there was less than six people in every scenario. And when I had them, ha you know, put up your hand if you watch free to air television. And then I said, now keep your hand up if you actually watch the ads and you don't pick up your phone and go to social media when the ads are on. But less than half of them, sorry, more than half of them actually put their hands down. So in most capital, in most cities that we went to, there was one or two people out of rooms of you know six, seven, eight hundred people that actually watch the live free to air. Uh, television and their commercials. The bulk of the others are watching pre-recorded content that they fast forward through the ads, or they're not even watching pre-recorded content. They're on Netflix, they're on Stan, they're on Prime Video, they're on iTunes, where there are no, there is no friction in the form of ads, or even friction in the form of, because you know, there's even friction, even if you've got pre-recorded television, you still have to fast forward the ads. That's still friction. You still got to wait for, you know, 30 seconds while you fast forward through a minute and a half to three minutes of, of, um, you know, of, of advertisements, and that in itself creates its own friction. So the thing is, like we've got $70 billion worth of ads right now, let's just call it that, uh, being currently put on TV, and maybe that is combined with print and radio as well, but regardless, you know, you've got TV stations going bankrupt, you've got radio stations consolidating, you've got magazine companies that are shutting down, you know, en masse. As soon as, the, as, soon as these um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed CEOs and marketing managers and marketing, you know, chief marketing officers from these major organizations start to wake up and realize money's not being spent on, you know, people aren't listening to as much uh, commercial radio. People aren't watching commercial television. Once people start to, to tune into this and realize to this, there's going to be an enormous amount of money and budgets that's going to shift over to Facebook ads. It's going to shift over to Instagram ads. And when that happens, when that shift happens, it is going to price almost every mother out of the market and that's that's going to be a massive shift because right now there's only there's 60 million active business pages on Facebook 60 million that's not even a lot when you consider the amount of businesses on the planet but there's only six percent of those that actually pay for advertising so it's only a very small fraction so right now Facebook is underpriced but it's getting more expensive every day the reason it's getting more expensive every day is because these guys in these major corporations are starting to realize they're not getting banged for their buck on their TV ads okay and as a result they're shifting the money over to platforms where they're going to get a little bit more bang or a lot more bang for the buck, and that's going to make the advertising more expensive. You know, you know, I often think about the golden ages of Google AdWords. 2003, I loved Google AdWords. I was paying three to five cents a click. My acquisition cost per lead was around 60 cents all day long. Just give the money to AdWords, they give you leads back, you turn those leads into sales, happy days. Now, my, you know, the, my, those bids for those same keywords are $65, $75 plus, and my average cost per lead is $220. And I don't advertise on Google AdWords anymore. Why? Because all the major corporate got on board, all, you know, all the bigger businesses got on board and they, they bid those keywords up to the point where, to me, you know, for $240, no kidding, for $240, I can actually probably get about 100 leads off Facebook. You know, So for me, it's just like, it's, it's an absolute no-brainer. And so for right now, Facebook is incredibly viable. Uh, it is going to continue to be incredibly viable. I'm going to give it a viability window of about three to five years before we start to see major shifts, maybe even sooner. We're seeing major shifts now. I was just talking to a business just this morning who's gone from a seven to one 
return. Now, for every dollar that they invest, they'd get a, a $7 return, uh, to now they're getting, for every dollar that they invest, they're now getting a 1.3, 1.4 return, you know, because there's been some changes as a, result, as a result of the data leaks and data analytica and all that jazz. Uh, Facebook is making it a lot harder to target people which in itself is presenting its own problems for advertisers because we're not able to target as effectively. And as a result, we're, you know, we're, we're pulling people into the, advertising, um, uh, into the advertising target process that is making the, the penetration a lot harder to cut through, which is now making it really, which by the way, is indicating the importance of creating audiences. Because the cool thing is, although the targeting features might be becoming more restricted on Facebook, the cool thing is, is audiences aren't. You can actually now build your own audiences and through the use of content, and this is one of the things I love about video, publish video. People who watch the video, and especially if they're watching 30, 40, 50% of that video, they're interested in that content. You can even target them with more video, and if they watch that video, that, that proves that they're more actually genuinely interested in that content. You retarget the same person with five different videos all around the same thing, you're gonna end up with this very high qualified, high, you know, very warm audience that you can then start marketing to. So the targeting features might be becoming a little bit more restricted, but the ability to build audiences is gonna be where it's at. And for me, that's, that's where the magic is, that's where the money is. So viability right now, it's still very viable, but you've gotta know how to use a platform. But ultimately, the people who understand the importance, and this is where most people fall down with Facebook. Most people are relying purely on a paid advertising strategy with Facebook. And that's, that's just, uh, look, that's, that's only gonna get you so far. The real value in Facebook is when you actually get a, a really strong organic content strategy. You combine that with a really solid targeted uh, audience strategy, okay, ad strategy, and you bring those two together, you get magic and you're able to make lots of money. But the thing is most people are too lazy, they just wanna do ads, oh, I just wanna place an ad. They're too lazy to produce content and that's why the people who produce content are the ones that are gonna win. So just produce content. Easy as, bro. Let's um, go to Cathablet27. How do you make yourself irreplaceable in the workplace? How do you make yourself irreplaceable in the workplace? That is a very dangerous question. You see, um, this is a catch-22. If you become irreplaceable in a workplace, you become a liability. Uh, because there's this little thing called key person risk. I hate it when any one individual in my organization becomes irreplaceable or has too much power because then if you lose them, and the challenge for a business owner, or let me put it this way, the real value is not in becoming irreplaceable, the real value is finding the right organization that sees the value in your ability to be able to duplicate yourself and move into the next thing. You see, a lot of people think, well, if I make myself irreplaceable, they'll never get rid of me and they'll have to, you know, they'll always need me. Yeah, that's called codependence, okay? That's not a healthy form of connection, nor is that a healthy form of commerce. Now, I know I'm gonna get a lot of people, that are, or some people that are probably gonna push back on this and say, well, Kerwin, if I am able to duplicate myself, then they could get rid of me and replace me with someone at half the cost. That's where the first part of the equation comes in. You gotta find the right organization to align yourself with who sees the value in the ability to duplicate yourself. See, right now for me, you know, I, I see an enormous, we've got a massive, massive risk in our business right now where we've only got a couple of really key salespeople, one in particular. And the challenge is, is there's an enormous amount of resistance in some of these people to duplicate themselves for whatever reason. But let's just say that they feel if they duplicate themselves, then they may long, they may longer, no longer have leverage. They may no, no longer have, you know, the ability to be seen as you know, the, the best or the greatest in their field. But the challenge is, is that in itself becomes a liability for the business. And so you don't start looking at these people as great performers, you start looking at them as risks. 
Okay, and when you've got a risk in the business, what do you do? You have to mitigate that risk. And the way that you mitigate the risk is by trying to find ways to build up other people around them so that you can remove that risk. And that in itself can come with its own inherent set of problems, okay? Because people start to feel threatened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not that we're having those issues, but that's the situation that we experience right now that many businesses experience when they have one or two people that operate in key roles, especially in sales, they become really good at what they do. And in some cases, they become irreplaceable. Now, if you become irreplaceable in a business and you're toxic, then you're an absolute nightmare for a business. <clears throat> and one of the things that I suggest to business owners, if you have someone that is irreplaceable in your business and they are toxic, get rid of them immediately. Because the toxicity by virtue of the consequence in the culture is gonna cost you a lot more, okay, than what that person will be able to bring in by the value of their role. Now, at first you might be thinking, but they bring in this much revenue. But you've also gotta be understanding, what, what, what is the consequence of that revenue? What is the consequence now of, of the energy, of the culture, of the destructive behaviors? So for me, you know, I actually think it's a, a and again, I hope, I hope this is taken with good measure uh, of equal parts sugar and equal parts salt, that, you know, becoming irreplaceable in a business to me, it's just, it, to me, it's broken psychology because it, it's, it's coming from a place of lack. It's not coming from a place of abundance. It's coming from this perception that if you become irreplaceable, then you'll be able to demand more or get more money. And in some cases that might be true, but you've got to understand the long-term consequences of that is if anyone in this organization becomes irreplaceable, then that to me, they become a key person risk. And what do you do when you have a risk? You look to mitigate it. And sometimes that mitigation might be through replacement. Okay, and it might take one, two, three years to replace that person. But if that person becomes a risk, there's got to be an exit strategy. There's got to be a plan B. Otherwise, if that person leaves and all the business is, is, is dependent on them, the whole business can go to shit. And that means that all the employees lose their jobs. Everyone else, you know, all the customers, everything else don't get service anymore. And that is a risk that is unacceptable for any business. So my advice is rather than becoming irreplaceable in a business, find a way to add so much value Okay, in so many different ways that people won't want to get rid of you and do it from a place of an abundance where you learn how to go into different roles and be able to replace yourself or duplicate yourself so you can add even more value. Because imagine if you're a cracking salesperson, right? And you become what you perceive as irreplaceable. Okay, yes, you will be worth a lot of money. But imagine if you could duplicate that into 12 different people. Imagine how fucking valuable you would be then. Oh, but yeah, but what if then they don't need me, they can get rid of me and they've still got those other 11 people. That's lack mentality, okay? The abundant mentality knows that if you do that with the right people, align with the right people, you say, well, I'm not doing with the right people, then find the right fucking people, okay? But thinking, coming from a place of lack where you become irreplaceable, as I said, I, I stand by my initial argument. That's codependence, where you want someone to become dependent on you, addicted to you, and that's not a healthy relationship, okay? There's no choice in that. That's unhealthy. Find a way to add so much value in such an ethical and integral way that people would never want to get rid of you. Not because they can't, can't bear to lose you, but because they don't want to. You know, there's a difference between someone being, not being able to, becoming irreplaceable, okay, because they, they, they need you, and which is completely in contrast to someone wanting to working with you and having you stick around because they want to work with you. Imagine being in a, like imagine this, imagine being in a relationship where you can't leave because you fundamentally need, need that person. What kind of an energy would that create in that environment? You're not, you're not there because you want to be there. You're there because you're afraid of losing, okay? You're addicted to some kind of chemical response, chemical reaction or environmental stimulus, okay? You're not there because you want to, you're there because you need to be there. Okay, versus imagine being in a relationship because you want to be there. And imagine knowing that the person that you're with is only with you because they want to be there, not because they need to be with you. That is a completely different form of relationship. Think about that. Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.